When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Husker fans. Welcome to episode 179 of the Husker Football Fan Podcast. In today's episode, Justin talks to Dr. Rob Zadiska of the Husker Doc Talk Podcast. But you might remember him from his time with the Nebraska Cornhuskers or the New York Giants. You can find us on the web at huskerpod.com or by searching Husker Football Fan Podcast on Facebook. You can also connect with us on Twitter by following at huskerpod or email us at huskerpod at gmail.com. This episode is brought to you by Central Nebraska Buffalo. Check out their website at cnbuffalo.com. We are here with Dr. Rob Zadiska. Uh, many of you know Rob as the co-captain of the 1994 uh, National Championship team. Highly decorated offensive lineman, spent some time in the NFL, is now uh, anesthesiologist in Omaha, and uh also co-host of the Doc Talk podcast, uh, Doctor Rob, we are so excited uh, to have you on the show. Welcome. No, absolutely glad to glad to be on with you guys. So it is this this odd time as we were talking about a little bit ago. It's this <laughs> odd time in history where we're supposed to be talking about spring football, but there's no spring football to talk about. So let's talk about let's talk about your podcast for a little bit. Um, I'm I'm curious. How how long does your professional relationship with Travis Justice? How long? How far back does that go? Oh my gosh! So we uh, so Travis and I. So like a little background on Travis. So Travis was a longtime sports guy, and this goes back to. I mean, I think he was like student journalism uh, over in small college in Iowa. He's going to kill me now because I'm going to forget what <laughs> school he went to. But um, a- anyway, so. He, uh, Travis has been in journalism literally since undergrad, did the, did the student radio station and in, in college. And, um, he came to Nebraska, oh boy, at KM3, so Omaha CBS station. Um, this would have been right around 92, 93, 94, kind of right in that area. So, so kind yeah. of right when. Nebraska football went from kind of Tom Osborne, solidly good, getting your nine tens, ten wins a year, to right at that era where all of a sudden we got really good and started punching out national titles every year. That that was basically the time Travis hit the door here in Omaha uh, at, at KM3 up here. Uh, and I'd actually, when I was a, at, at the time, so... He, so he covered Nebraska football from that time period. I went off, did the NFL thing for a while, uh, retired from the NFL, came back, started medical school in uh, fall of 2000. And at the time, you had the, the Todd and Tyler show, Z92, 90, 92.3 FM, kind of one of those radio stations everybody knows in Lincoln and Omaha. And they had... Uh, they did a thing where once a week, they still do it to this day. They got They have a doctor that comes on and answers medical questions. And, and it's a, it's 
it's a tight, you got to be a little bit tongue in cheek because this is sort of an ever so slightly misogynistic guy oriented okay. sports oriented. Gotcha. Um, very mildly vulgar <laughs> okay. slant to all of this stuff. Okay. Sure. And so Travis was doing, so he was with KM three at the time up here in Omaha doing the sports. He was the sports director for KM three at the same time. He was also doing the, the morning drive time sports for Z 92 in Omaha on the Todd and Tyler show. And so the, the doctor that was doing this once a week kind of doctor's gig, answering calling questions for the Todd Tyler show, a guy named Ed Dominguez. And Ed's a, Ed's a proud Texan, great guy, might be one of like the top 10 smartest human beings I've ever known. So Ed calls me up and, he's, and he tells me, and he, he, was, he also taught down at UNMC at Nebraska Medical Center where I was a med student. Ed calls me up and he's like, hey, listen. He goes, I do this thing on Todd and Tyler. You're a former Nebraska football player. You got a little bit of just because of the football player thing, you got a little bit of public cachet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do this like once a week. There's about one out of every four weeks I can't do it. Do you want to be the fill-in guy for me? And I'm like, Ah, sure, no problem. So I do that for Dominguez for kind of about a couple of semesters of medical school, where I'm okay. the where I'm the I'm the doctor on the radio station. Nice. So I do that, and so Todd and Tyler, which actually Todd's one of my neighbors, okay. so they they ask me, they're like, hey, do you want to just? I, I don't even remember what year it was. This might have been 2000. This might have been 2002. I don't I don't remember. But they they said, hey, do you want to do like a Monday morning Husker wrap-up? Just kind of go through the game, what went right, what went wrong. You're, you're basically going to be sort of a, a compliment to Travis Justice, who's also going to be on doing sports. Mm, okay. And so I'm like, yeah, no problem. So I do that for, a, for like one or two football seasons for Todd and Tyler. And, uh, you know, we, we have a blast. It's a good time. Um, so we go through all of that. I get to know Travis pretty well because we're both on doing sports. Um, and so in 2003 rolls around. So Travis, like I said, he's the sports director at KM3 Omaha CBS station. So he does the sports all week long. And then on Sunday nights after the 10 PM news, Travis would do a sports call-in show called and it was uh oh i'm trying to sports sound off that so it was called sports sound off and it was nothing other than a sports call-in show that he did after the news on sunday nights and his co-host was tommy frazier so the quarterback quarterback i blocked for all all american should have won the heisman in in 95 um so so tommy frazier is travis's co-host on sports sound off well we kind of got late into the i think it was the 2003 season um steve peterson had been hired as the ad at down in lincoln bum 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 no no kidding and peterson ends up hiring tommy frazier oh so so frazier 
for about a year, I uh, I can't remember exactly how long. One to two years, Frazier actually worked within the athletic department, kind of did a number of roles within the athletic department, but basically was a UNL athletic department employee. And the, huh. one of the very first things Peterson tells him is, hey, the sports talk gig you got up in Omaha on KM3, you got, you got to let that go because you know what? I mean, you say one one thing off the cuff that's not in step with the party line makes everybody look bad. You got to you got to stop that. So I'd been doing the 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 Z92 radio stuff with Travis already, and so Travis calls me up probably about halfway, two-thirds of the way through the 2003 football season. And he's like, hey, i just doing this show. It's Sunday nights. It's in studio. It's all live. I just lost Frazier. He can't do it anymore. I need somebody else who can step in. Would you mind stepping in from, like, end of September through, like, the bowl game? Like do that, or if which I don't Nebraska didn't make it a bowl game that year because it was Callahan's first year. But ah, yeah. but anyway, he he's like, hey, just if you could step in, do the rest of the football season, that'd be freaking awesome. <laughs> and so I'm like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a total publicity whore. I'm I got no problem <laughs> with that. Sure, whatever. Sign me up. And it's one of those things where we had we had our oldest daughter had been, was two years old at the time, and I'm like, okay, you know, it's Sunday night. She's in bed. My wife's going to bed. I mean, this is like no skin off my back. I, I'm I'm like just hanging out like Channel Surfing Sports Center at that time anyway. So, uh, so I went ahead and did the show with them. And at the time, it was purely going to be this just like, we just need somebody to get through the football season. Well, kind of late in the football season, basketball season starts. And so my dad's from north central Iowa. So I kind of always sort of half followed Iowa State basketball at least a little bit. And at the time, Iowa State was having a hell of a season. Johnny Orr was still the coach up there. Mm. Yeah. They had some really, really – I remember that year they had a couple of point guards, both freshmen, who were just lighting up the Big 12. And at the time, we would always do, like, at the end of the show, we would tangent cover just a little bit of whatever other sports were on there. And so Travis Tangents brings up a little Big 12 basketball – and I jump in, and I've got all these comments on Iowa State and Johnny <laughs> Orr and a couple of these freshmen. And huh. why, why can't Barry Collier get these kind of recruits in oh, Lincoln? Collier. Yeah. And and I remember both Travis. I remember both Travis and our producer Pete McIntyre looking at me like, "How the hell does this knucklehead, this guy who's..." <laughs> who knows nothing except football and medicine. How is he talking about Iowa state and big 12 basketball? Like you got like some surprises he, in you. Yeah. Like he actually knows what the hell he's talking about. And so I remember that show ended and this was probably late November, early December. And I remember that show ended and I remember Travis and Pete grabbing me, almost like shoving me into a corner. And they're like, um, 
Yeah, we really didn't expect you to say anything right then about Iowa State basketball, but um, <laughs> you want to stick around through the end of the NFL season and maybe stick around through the end of the NCAA basketball season too? And I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. Wow. And so that was kind of how it started. So we ended up, at, at, after that happened, God, I think we went seven or eight years with the show year round. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So we did. We did the. We did so every Sunday night, ten thirty to eleven. We did the show live, call in show, for seven and seven or eight years year round. And I mean, we did wow. every. We did everything from. You know, I could. I mean, we we covered. We covered NASCAR, NBA, College World Series, pro baseball, and uh, I mean, you name it, we covered it, and it was, and, and it was awesome, and we had a great time doing it. And uh, eventually, and I think a lot of it was just lifestyle stuff. I mean, if you're if you're a full time sports broadcaster, radio or football. Um, it's the greatest job ever if you're not married, no mm. kids, and you're 28 yeah. to 41 years old. Gotcha. If you're a little older than that, married and have kids, it's like the worst job ever because guess what? Sports happen. It's seven days a week. It's 12 months out of the year. It's afternoons, evenings, and weekends. It's 24-7. There's never any downtime to it. That's tough. And so Travis ended up leaving broadcasting. Basically, the guy's got a family. And he had a buddy who uh, is in, in commercial construction and basically lured Travis away to do business development and marketing. And that, that eventually pulled Travis away from, from the media side of stuff. He still does radio for WHO Radio out of Des Moines. He does their morning drive time sports. Um, but they set him up with a radio receiver in his basement. So he like bathrobe coffee mug wanders down to his basement flips on a receiver puts on a headset and it sounds like he's sitting right next to the guys in the studio right there in des moines so so he was well prepared for quarantine oh exactly oh hardcore. we're all we're all doing now what he's been doing for you exactly which actually I, I, you know travis and i we we recorded a podcast yesterday and one of the first things he said he said you know one of the very few industries that has been essentially not touched by this at all is construction, hmm. especially huh. commercial construction, not affected at all. And, and so he, he said he's been burning the candle at both ends. He's been running all over the place because he said all of these construction projects are still going on all across the city. The firm he's with has all, has a satellite office in Denver. And so they're kind of running all over the place with things and wow. hasn't slowed down at all for him. So, well, you know, talk, talking to you just now has helped connect some dots in, in my life because I, I remember my dad talking about your television show, but I have no memory of it. Well, the reason is <laughs> I, well, I went to college in Chicago, right? Like yep, uh, fall yeah. of 2003. Yeah, you so, would never would have seen it there. I, I left the market, essentially. And then when I came back to Nebraska, I was in grad school. I didn't have a TV. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just never had the opportunity. So that, that helps explain why I don't have any memory of your television show, even though I've heard about it a lot. Hey, I did both grad school and med school. I know the whole no TV yeah. thing. Although, 
I, I did the pro football thing, so actually, I guess we did have TV. So <laughs> I, I might have been the I might have been the most well-to-do med student in history. But. Okay, that's a good that's a good way to do it, then, huh? Uh, exactly. Any, hey, any aspiring doctors out there, if you want to go to the NFL first, hey, if you're going to med school, I highly recommend NFL first. Okay. So, so when did you guys start the podcast? Then, I mean, because I feel like you've been doing it for quite a while. We have. So, you know what? Travis left television. Oh boy. Oh, this would have been right around 2010, 2011. I'm remembering the, I, I'm, I'm, I don't remember the exact year. So this is right around 2010, 2011, he ended up leaving. Uh, Matt Siegel was the uh, weekend sports anchor for KM3. So Matt and I did the show for about another, oh boy, Matt and I did it for about another year or so. And then kind of the same thing, Matt, it was one of those deals where Matt was like, oh my God, this Cover, like doing sports for sure. real real media this is 24 7 this is like year round there's no break from this it, it was kind of the exact same thing for matt where and so he ended up leaving broadcasting and actually matt ended up actually going into uh i think he he actually does media sales so he does uh, like advertising sales for media companies, except he kind of went big time. So he's like up in Boston now. And okay. so Matt, Matt's doing it up in Boston for kind of like the big media companies up there on the East coast. Um, but so Matt and I did it for b- about another year or so. And then he left. So it was probably around Oh, four Oh five. I'm guessing that, I think Travis kind of just missed it. Mm-hmm. And so, so Travis and I, and we both did. And so Travis and I ended up, we did, we did kind of covered the, the just sort of the covered the football season with Nebraska. Uh, we did some radio shows for a couple of years. We did some online podcasts for a couple of years. We kind of bounced back and forth between the two mediums. And this is around like 07, 08, 09, 2010, 2011, kind of in that era. Um, and the whole podcasting thing was still kind of trying to find its footing a little bit. You just, you, you didn't see a lot of it happen. And so um, we did it. We, we did some live radio stuff a little bit as well, too. And eventually, finally, in... I think it was probably, like I said, 2010, 2011, uh, we started doing the podcast full time and decided that we would do that full time, just doing the podcast and we'd kind of see how it goes. And we ended up getting some sponsors. Uh, the primary sponsor that we've had has been Dave Remington with the Remington trophy Uh and Boomer Esiason Cystic Fibrosis Foundation which obviously works kind of well with the whole Nebraska angle on stuff. Um, but Dave's been just in, he's the president of the Boomer Esiason foundation and has been just hands down. One of the most generous guys you'd ever want to meet. He's also one of the most hardworking guys you'd ever want to meet. And so Dave kind of became the title sponsor for the podcast 
boy, this is going back probably about five or six years ago. So I'm thinking probably around somewhere between 2013, 2014 that Dave took over as the title sponsor. Um, And at that point in time, we decided to stick just with doing the podcast itself. So not going to do any more radio work, not going to do, um, not going to do anything else outside of the podcast itself. So I think as, as listeners who aren't familiar with your podcast, who are listening will now understand you guys have a really interesting niche in kind of the Huskers podcast news ecosystem where you're a former player, uh, played at a very high level. Travis is a former sports guy. So all these really interesting experiences. How, how would you describe your niche in Husker media? Like what's your voice? This, you know, I, you might've hit it on the head. It's kind of the combination of like, I guess I'd call it true media combined with a former player. Um, and you know, I would, I, I would admit that there's, I'm trying to think of a good way to phrase this. I probably look at sports like if I watch a football game, I'm probably looking at it more from the viewpoint of a media member as opposed to a former player. Now, really, um, that's kind of the way I grew up, though, and that's kind of the way I've always watched it. The interesting thing is, so if you take, so I'm going to say, let's take Damon Benning, for instance. So former Nebraska running back, uh, all-conference running back. He's got some NFL chops. He's got a great, great mind for the sport. Um, love Damon. So you've, you get these guys, and they'll start talking about, so you take guys like Damon Benning, you take guys like... Uh, Oh my gosh, some of the other guys we played with. Uh, like you listen to Grant Wistrom break down a defense, listen to Jason Peter break down a defense. Um, I, occasionally, guys will get Mike Minner uh, on the air and they'll break down a defense. Um, I'm one of the, these guys where I'm just looking at it going, like, okay, I see this guy standing here. I would block him, and we would score a touchdown. <laughs> it's like I look at it on a much more simplistic level. Okay. And uh-huh. so I, I don't have that mind in terms of overall schemes, things like that. It's just not something that was ever my strong suit. Uh, I, I, had very mu- I had a great mind for rope memorization, and so when we would go into a game, I would memorize every single play, what every single player's assignment was on every single play, and I would memorize exactly what every single play, everybody on offense, what every single player's assignment was against every look that that defense had shown during the season up to that point in time. Wow. And that was how Every I, week? Every week. Oh my gosh! And that that was how I would do it. I now, conversely, you take a guy, say like Brendan Steyer, Zach Weger, they would just they would understand sort of this big picture conceptualization hmm. of what the opponent's defense. Okay, if they're lining up in this defense, here's sort of the overall concept of what that defensive alignment is designed to stop. Here's how we're going to attack that. 
So they would look at things more from a, which truthfully, that is probably how about 99.99% of coaches think. Okay. And I just, I, I don't have a mind for that. I truly well, don't. I mean, what you describe is just labor and time intensive, I assume. Uh, or maybe you just can do it. I mean, maybe, maybe it sounds inten- like you're... It, it's intensive. I don't know if it took a lot of time or, or, or labor. I just did it. And it was just, yeah. for me, that was the way I operated and the way I did things. Hmm. Um, so I would just, but, but when I, I mean, and I remember, so Mel Tenniper and Dan Young, who are the offensive line coaches at Nebraska, they would administer a test where they would hand out a, a sheet of, a, a sheet with, that was diagrammed out with, I say a sheet, it was actually like three or four sheets. And they would have, every play we could possibly run against drawn up against every defensive front, like literally like the little squares, X's and O's Mm -hmm. on paper. They would have it, have every play against every defensive front that we had seen from that team on film up to that point in time. And each offensive lineman was supposed to fill out. Okay. Here's what I myself would do on this play against this front. And Tenniper insisted, like every for every play, I had to fill in the whole offense. He he made me fill in. What's the fullback doing? What are what, oh, what wow. what's the tight end doing? What are what are both offensive guards doing? So I had to fill in everything. That was, that was what he ended up making me do because he knew that was how I thought that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have this overall conceptualization of things. I had this. Yeah, hmm. I was I was more of a rote memorizer, and he knew like, okay, well, if Zadiska knows what every single person on offense is doing on every single play against every conceivable look that the opposing defense might throw at us, then he'll be fine. Hmm. That really speaks to his ability as a coach to connect with the way his players learn. Guy was a genius. He and Dan both were huh. really, really great offensive line coaches. Hmm. But anyway, so that was how I thought. But anyway, yeah. so yeah, I mean, that was kind of a, a ten, that was like a 15-minute answer to a one-minute question. So anyway, yeah, so Travis and I, it started out, we got to know each other during the Todd and Tyler yeah. radio show, and it morphed into do, doing television, and I, I ended up taking over for Tommy Frazier, and then that went like another seven years, and then we kind of... We kind of just kept doing it into podcasts after that. Nice. Well, change of gears. I uh, I mentioned to my dad that I was going to talk to you tonight, and my dad was at my mom and dad were at the '94 Orange Bowl, and uh, now now '94 Orange Bowl after the '93 season, or do you mean the '95 Orange Bowl after the '94 season? Yes, the the latter, the the '95 Orange Bowl after the '94 season, the Miami game. The Miami game. Okay. And, all right. There and, we go. And so, like, just part of something I've grown up with is hearing them talk about that game and uh, how the Miami fans were so obnoxious leading up to it. And then, um, I guess, from the moment they played the Tunnel Walk song for you guys to come in, like, the tone slowly started to shift. And until by the end, you know, they weren't saying anything. And so, uh, I'm just curious, like, what was that game like for you? I mean, do you, as you think back on it and think through the game, I mean, oh can you talk me through that? I mean, that's taking you back here. Multi-layered. You know, it's kind of interesting because so if, so 
half a dozen years ago, you had the 20th anniversary of the 94 national title. Um, they brought us all down to link and there was a lot of little mini reunions. I mean, I did a, that, that fall. I remember I got together with, uh, there was a group, a group down in, uh, Nebraska city did a local fundraiser down in Nebraska city. And they brought in myself, uh, coach George Darlington, Mitch crank who did, he, he was long gone from Nebraska at the time I was there, but Mitch was, uh, all conference tight end for Nebraska, like 80, 81, 82, and then played for the Chicago bears. Mitch has, Mitch has a super bowl ring with the, he, he was on the 85 bears team. Mm. Um, so we came down and hung out and I remember we hung out with, uh, George Dar. I remember hanging out with Darlington at that game and he was the defensive backs coach the entire time I was in Lincoln. And I remember talking with him about, we, we started talking about like strategy for that game and like, Hey, why did you guys do this? And why did we play in the, the season finale against Oklahoma? Why did we do things one way, but against Miami, we did things another way. And, um, you know, thinking about the game itself for years, I always thought about just that we went out and wore them down, which we did. Uh Um, in hindsight, it's kind of interesting because I'll I'll go to my grave thinking this. And I think a lot of people, and when I say people, former players, especially former coaches might disagree with me on this. Um, I I thought that might've been one of the worst games we played that season. Really? Oh, hands down. Just. timing was off a little bit. So the year before we go 11 and 0 regular season, and then we play this just absolutely stacked with NFL talent, Florida state team, Uh Charlie Ward, Heisman winner. You got, you had Derek Brooks, you had Derek Alexander, Clifton, Abraham. I mean, William Floyd, it was just a who's who of the next spring's NFL draft. Um, like that Florida state, that, that orange bowl against that Florida state team in terms of how we played as a team, we played so much better against that Florida state team after the 93 season than we did against Miami after the 94 season. The, the, the 94 Miami team was by far and away the better defense and the example that I always give is in their front seven, so four four down linemen, three linebackers, they ran a classic 4-3 Miami defense. Out of their front seven, you had four first-round draft picks and two NFL Hall of Famers. Oh, my gosh. And The Rock. And The Rock. <laughs> and The Rock. That's right. So you all said, and Dwayne Johnson, right. who was, who was neither a first-round draft pick or an NFL Hall of Famer. But you had Dwayne Johnson, you had Ray Lewis, you had Warren Sapp. Ray and Warren were the, and are both currently in Canton. Um, but then they had they had three other first-round draft picks in that group. I mean, that That's was just, just an amazing, amazing defense. C.J. Richardson at safety. God, that, I mean, that was just an unbelievable defense. But all those Miami defenses were like that. Um, they had an, a good but not great offense. I mean, they were very solid. 
Um, I mean, if you want an example, I mean, Colorado's offense that year was light years, head and shoulders above what Miami had. Hmm. Um, I would even argue that Kansas State probably had a better overall offense than what Miami had that year. Huh. Uh, you know, I'm kind of going through the list in my head. There were several teams probably had a better offense than what Miami fielded that day. I mean, nine-tenths nine of their strength was all on defense. Um, that Florida State team the year before was like that on both sides of the ball. Really? Yeah. All Americans on the offensive line, running back, wide receiver, Heisman at quarterback. You had – their defense was just unbelievable. I mean, you got a Butkus winner in Derek, in Derek Brooks at, at linebacker. He's in the Hall of Fame right now. You had Derek Alexander at D-tackle. He was an all-pro for the Vikings. Yeah, Clifton Abraham was an All-American corner. I mean, they they were just the, that Florida State team in '93. The fact that they lost a game at all is mind blowing to me. Huh. They were they were such a talented team, just an incredibly incredibly talented team. Um, so I, I, you know, the thing that sticks out to me when you ask me that question is just how good we played against what honestly should be remembered as an all-time team, but they won the national title. They beat us. Uh, Well, they beat us on the scoreboard. Um, But you got a team that went 12-1, and but they had that loss against uh, Notre Dame. Um, and it was Notre Dame had a great team that year, not as good as Florida State. It was a lo- I, I still think it was a bit of a fluky loss, but um, you've that that Florida State team in '93 from a talent standpoint is an all timer. Nobody remembers it that way because they went eleven and one on or twelve and one huh. on the season. Yeah, but from a talent standpoint, that's an all time team. Um, God, I got in, I got, I got in a Twitter discussion today on the 2001, 2002 Miami teams Ah. and 2001, same kind of thing. 2001 Miami is considered an all time team and a rival to 95 Nebraska for best ever. But everybody forgets about the fact that 2002 Miami was essentially the exact same guys. But the fact that they lost to a seemingly pedestrian Ohio State team in the national title game. Yeah. Like completely removed them from everybody's memory. I mean, that's, well, you a, know- that's a team that kind of got, got wiped off the map. But when you think about Florida State in 93 and Miami in 94 – Florida State in 93 was light years better than Miami of 94, and we played as a team light years better against a better team in Florida State than we did in 94 against Miami. I, that, that, was, that was one of our not-so-great performances in mm. that game. I'll go to my grave saying that. I mean, it's one of those everybody thinks of it as sort of a, 
iconic game in Nebraska history. Absolutely, the, yeah. The, the comeback to beat Miami, to beat Warren Sapp and Ray Lewis in Miami on their home field. Everybody thinks of it as, as this great game in Nebraska football history that sort of was sort of the stepping stone for the next couple national titles that Osborne won. And honestly, as players, we sit back and think about it, and and it's sort of one of these like, oh my God, we just got it was disjointed, and we our timing was off, and geez, we just didn't play that great that day. And some of it was even, I mean, you know, one of the things, you know, here's here's the story for you. We on the offensive line, yeah. So Joel Wilkes was the left guard, ninety three, ninety four. Brennan Stye was the right guard, first team All American. For the bowl game, they switched Stye from right guard over to left guard. They switched Joel Wilkes from left guard over to right. Huh. With the idea of we're going to put Brennan Stye up at nose-to-nose to against Warren Sapp for the whole game. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, and I'm sitting there going like, okay, I kind of get that. I, I see why, except on the offensive line, so myself, Joel Wilkes, Brendan Stye, Aaron Graham, Zach Wieger, you've got five guys. In college, four of us had played together for four years. I'm sorry, four of us had played together for five years. Wow. Redshirt year, redshirt freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. Jeez. So so four of us, myself, Joel, Brendan, and Zach, the four of us had been together for five years. We were on the same scout team together all the during our redshirt year and then played together for four years after that. And then in and then in ninety one, which was we were all redshirt freshmen in ninety one. Aaron Graham was a true freshman. They redshirted Aaron in ninety in in ninety one, but instead of having him practice against the scout team, they put Aaron Graham on the second string offense and practice with myself and Joel and Brendan and Zach. So you had the five of us during so even during Aaron's redshirt year, he was Aaron went five years of college football, never played on scout team. Huh. He pre- so his as a true freshman redshirt, he was he was the second string center on offense, practicing with myself and Joel and Brendan and Zach. Um. So we were together for four years at that point, and then you take it another step further. Joel Wilkes and I played in the Shrine Bowl together and lined up against oh, lined wow. up next to each other in the Shrine Bowl, which you got Marty Goings from Millard South who ran us through like freaking five-a-day practices for the Shrine oh Bowl. Gosh. It wasn't that bad. Okay. He, 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 did do, no, he did do three-a-day practices, however. And so I, like, I basically tell everybody, okay, those Shrine Bowl practices I went through, that Joel and I went through, accounted for literally an entire, like that, that amounted to a freaking season of football so i always tell everybody joel and i played together for like six years but joel and i literally lined up against each other through all those shrine bowl practices red shirt year and then four years after that 
And one of one of Milt Teneper's biggest gripes against all of us, myself, Joel, Graham, Sty, Weigert, uh, we had calls we'd make based upon the defense. So it wasn't just the center would call out a call. Everybody on the offensive line was making calls constantly or was supposed to. Well, the five of us knew each other so well. We, we would walk up to the line of scrimmage, look at the defense, know what the defense was, know what the assignments were, know what the calls were supposed to be, but we'd never make them. Wow. We would just know what it was, and we'd know what the guy next to us was going to do. Yeah. And therefore, we would not make the actual calls. And so you get to the – so anyway – Picture that mentality where you just you're in sync with the person next to you to the degree you don't even need to speak the spoken word. You just know what they're thinking. They know exactly what you're thinking. You're just walking up to the line of scrimmage and executing. And it was brutally efficient. It's a powerful thing. It was brutally, brutally efficient. So we get to this Orange Bowl game against Miami, and all of a sudden – for four and a half years prior, I got Joel Wilkes next to me. And now all of a sudden, I know, and I love Brendan, don't get me wrong. All of a sudden, I got some other dude next to me. Yeah. Joel's two people away hanging out with Zach now. <laughs> and I, I will go to my grave saying it completely. Switching Stye and Wilkes completely threw our timing off. It just it it just wasn't quite right. So you don't think that any advantage you got from maybe a superior matchup uh, was maybe negated by the loss of the cohesion you guys had? Exactly. And you know what? Joel's a freaking badass. He would have kicked the shit out of Warren Sapp. Okay. <laughs> Wouldn't have mattered. Joel's an absolute junkyard dog. Okay. He would have ripped Sapp a new one, just, same as Brendan did, and it wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> It just didn't, a, yeah. yeah, it wouldn't have mattered. And and I remember all these practices with like all of a sudden we got, I've got Stye next to me. And I, I remember like myself, there was about a month and a half there where myself, Brendan and Graham hated each other. What? Because we were literally stepping on each other's foot. Uh-huh. Like literally stepping on each other's foot. Because you're you're sitting there lining up, and it, and that's how in tune you are. Like you're lining up like eleven inches away from a guy, and and like diving into these actual melees. Hmm. And I knew exactly where Joel's left left foot was going to be. He knew where my right foot was going to be with each step. And all of a sudden, that's changed now. And I remember myself and Stye and Graham getting into these shouting matches at practice because hmm. we'd be so pissed at each other for stepping on each other's feet, literally stepping on each other's yeah. feet. Yeah. And, and, and that, that was a big deal. I mean, it's one of those like quit stepping on my freaking foot. <laughs> like I can't get to the linebacker yeah. because you are standing on my foot. That's problematic. And that was, that was a huge deal at the time. And it, it, like, I'll go to my grave saying that that move completely threw it off. Now, I mentioned earlier about the fundraiser down in Nebraska City where it was myself and Mitch Crank and Coach Darlington. Yeah. 
during that 94 season. And I actually asked Darlington, like I kind of asked him sort of one of these, what the hell was your guys thinking as a coaching staff, like to switch Joel and Brendan around? And I remember Darlington told me, he said, well, he goes, we were were evaluating the Oklahoma game, which was we won. It was down in Norman that year. So 94, Norman, Oklahoma, day before Thanksgiving. And I got to be honest with you, dude, I don't even remember the score. But it was one of those like 13 to 6, 14 to 7 wins. I mean, it was a tight game. And... uh, I remember Darlington telling me, he said, he goes, you know, he goes, we, we evaluated everything. And he goes, we, we looked at all the running plays to the left side of the line and we averaged like 3.3 yards a carry to the left side. And we looked at the, all the running plays we ran to the right side of the line with Stye and Weger, and we averaged like, 5.7 yards a carry mm. to the right side of the line. And we figured, huh, it just, you know what? I mean, you got, you got Zach Weger, who's an Allen trophy winner at right tackle. You got Brennan Stye, first team all American at right guard. You got former walk on Joel Wilkes at left guard. And you got like future med student, Rob Zask at left tackle. <laughs> And we figured we needed to kind of even out that talent mm. load a bit, especially with Warren Sapp over there. And I didn't say that, I didn't tell this to Darlington, but the thought was going through my head. I, but the, th- the thought process crossed my mind that I was like, yeah, but during that Oklahoma game, Oklahoma's defensive tackle right defensive tackle, the guy I had to butt heads with. Yeah. First team All-American and was the New York Giants first round draft pick the next year. Okay. That was Cedric Jones. Um, Their outside linebacker slash defensive end was, I think it was Reggie, I think first name was Reggie, but Reggie Barnes, who led, who actually led the, the big eight in sacks that year was the outside linebacker slash defensive end on that side. So that's who Joel and I were going against the whole game. Guess who Zach Wigger and Brandon Stye had to block? <laughs> oh. I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's a couple of freaking grocery clerks. <laughs> I mean, it was like, it was, a, it was like these okay. two nobodies. And I, and I literally remember like talking to Zach after that Oklahoma game and Wigger telling me, he was like, he was like, my guy sucked. He was like horrible. He goes, I just like flat back to the guy the entire game. He was like the worst guy I've ever had to play against. And so Darlington's telling me this. And I'm like, you know, did it ever cross your guys' minds that maybe Joel and I like kicked the living, like had this incredible game against these two first team all American and first round draft picks? Mm. And like, Wiegert and Stye played against like these like total nobodies against Oklahoma. That's too funny. Anyway, it's like, but it's like, it's one of those behind the scenes things that honestly, I didn't know about until 2014. Wow. That the coaches, coaching staff was looking at these stats from the Oklahoma game. And it's one of those, 
okay, if you had brought this up to us back in, oh, I don't know, early December of 1994, maybe Joel and I would have told you, like, hey, maybe you guys ought to take a closer look at Cedric and Reggie from Oklahoma because these two guys are, like, really, really good football players and take that into a little consideration before you flip-flop Joel and Brendan completely – F up the timing of our entire freaking yeah. offense. Well, that's fascinating. So. And you know that hearing you talk about all the time you guys spent together really contrasts with, you know, newer, more recent offensive lines at Nebraska. And I think speaks to what we can hope to gain this year as we finally have some guys playing together with some consistency and some guys in the program for some length of time. It's going to take a while, but um, what, what were, what were you hoping to see happen in the spring that will not be taking place? Oh, I mean, what? Oh boy. So I, you know, I, this is, this is something that I think is a big detriment, um, in terms of losing spring ball, because you look at last year's offensive line. And I, I think there was a lot of talk about when you look at the O line, some of these younger guys, you got guys like Ethan Piper, you got guys like Bryce Benhart and, I think there was a lot of interest amongst the coaching staff of, hey, let's slide in Ben Hart to right tackle. Let's move Farniak from right tackle to right guard. Jurgens at center. Let's see how Ethan Piper looks at left guard. Hymas stays at left tackle. I, I think it was it's it's an incredibly intriguing offensive line. Yeah. In that sense, um, we're not going to see that happen. Well, we might see that happen, but we're not going to see it from a developmental standpoint where these guys get a month's worth of practice under their belt before fall camp ever rolls around. Huh. And and that's where you, you kind of try this stuff out. You, you play around with these these different lineups. And, you know, I, I don't have a problem with Bo Will like with Bo Wilson, for instance. Um, I don't have a problem with Trent at left guard. You know, these guys are ballers. These guys have busted their asses, have worked hard. Um, That doesn't change the fact that there's maybe some better guys out there. I I think Ethan Piper's an absolute monster. I think Bryce Benhart's an absolute monster. I want to see how these guys match up against a Big Ten defensive line. Hmm. And it's from a developmental standpoint to get that full month of spring ball under your belt to try these different lineups. That's where that happens. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, maybe Trent Hickson comes out and just absolutely lights people up and we're all sitting there going like, okay, you know what? We're just going to leave Trent right there at left guard. He's kicking the shit out of people. Hmm. Hey, that's perfectly fine. But these situations where you try out an Ethan Piper and see how they're going to do against really good competition. That's what happens during spring practice. And these guys have now lost that, that ability to change that up. I mean, I, I talk about how, the the whole pipeline thing, the 94 national title, beating Warren Sapp and Ray Lewis in Miami on their whole field, 
a huge amount of that did come out of the fact that you had four of us that had played together for four plus years. I'm sorry. Absolutely. Five plus years. Five plus years. Yeah. You had six. Five, yeah. A couple well, of you. Yeah. If you count that again, you go by the Zadiska Shrine Bowl season. Yeah. Count, yeah. I'm counting you it. Literally got Joel and I are together for six years. You got, you, you go to, uh, you, you throw Aaron Graham into the mix. There's, there's five, the, the five of us were together for five years down there. I'm sorry. The five of us were together for four full years. I, I mean, there, there's an, an amazing amount of continuity and just knowing what the other guy's thinking and doing and how this other guy's going to step and move and work and what calls they're going to make without ever actually making the call. There, there's a huge amount of cohesiveness that comes out of that. And, and these guys have lost essentially six months worth of that. Yeah. And that's a, that's a big detriment. Um, it's a big detriment when you compare it to schools, say like Iowa and Minnesota and Wisconsin, your Michigan, your Ohio states, your schools that have gone through bowl game the last several years, because Nebraska's gone what three years now without a bowl yeah. game. Yeah, every bowl game amounts to roughly about a month to a month and a half's worth of practice. Hmm. It, I mean, a sp- spring ball is fifteen practices. So you go to a bowl game. That's 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 essentially getting two spring practices. You talk about the whole like why in college football doesn't seem like the. The haves keep having and the have-nots keep having not. These teams that go to the go to the playoffs, these teams that go to the that go to bowl games, that get all of that extra practice. It, it adds up. It, it does make a difference. I, I mean, a team goes to a bowl game, they're essentially getting the equivalent of two full spring practices worth of development. And that's I mean, it's just absolutely invaluable. Well, of course, you 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 add to to all that the fact that we've got, I mean, Frost redshirted a ton of offensive and defensive linemen last year, so so we haven't had those practices. And those um, guys were, I guarantee you, though, that coaching staff was sitting here thinking, "Oh my God, we're gonna we're gonna roll into spring practice. Yeah. We're gonna we've got all these guys we've got to play. All these guys yeah. we've got. We still have another." four full years with these guys. Right. And they've lost literally a month of practice with all of these guys. And I imagine it's Frost's goal to get to a place where he's got, you know, four guys who've played five years together. I don't know if that's pot. I don't know. Do you think that's still possible in this day and oh, age of college football? You know, I absolutely, I do. I mean, you know what, you look at transfers, you look at guys going pro early it doesn't change the fact that like, I, I don't know the percentage, like 92% of guys still play through their senior season. Okay. And, and so that being the case, I mean, yeah, that's absolutely a fact. Um, now the, the, there's a little bit of balance to it because Alabama and USC and Wisconsin, et cetera. It's not like they're out there practicing right now either. Maybe they yeah. are. They're yeah, just that not is telling true. anybody, but. Um, <laughs> it's ho- hopefully they're, they're being smart about it, about it, not, not spreading COVID-19 amongst each other, but the, 
it's it sets everybody back a little bit but you hope there's a smidge of a level playing field it's just the situation nebraska was in this was still and we've been seeing this for a couple of years now but that that doesn't change in the fact that it's true this is still a very young team this right. is a team that has a ton of freshmen and sophomores on it this is a team that has a lot of development ahead of it and you lose a spring, an entire spring practice like this, it, it makes a difference for a team like Nebraska, a, a team that's still primarily composed of freshmen, sophomores, and juniors. That makes a big difference for a team like this. And it, it'll, I'll be interested to see because Alabama's going to have a lot of upperclassmen who are going to be able to step up and make a difference. Clemson's going to have a lot of upperclassmen who are going to be able to step up and make a difference. Ohio State and Wisconsin and Iowa and Michigan are going to have a lot of upperclassmen who are going to be able to step up and make a big difference. Nebraska does not have that. Hmm. It's. I feel like it's tempting to think that, you know, oh, we'll just smash spring football kind of on into fall camp. And then they'll they'll be fine. But you know, you, the nice thing about spring football is you go hard and then you recover for months. You know, like so if someone well, gets hurt, it is. And there's that recovery, but there's also a reevaluation that takes place. So as players, we'd go through spring practice and you'd sit there and go like, okay, here's what I know, and oh my gosh, out of those 15 practices, here's the glaring deficiencies. I hadn't really thought about coming out of my redshirt year that were made obvious by spring practice. You're able to work on those for the next three, four months. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it not only does it like strengthen your strengths, it, it highlights what those deficiencies are and what you need to work on. That's really interesting. And that's something that, that, that again, there's something else that gets lost. Now, I, I think that's something that you're going to see kind of across the board amongst all teams. And, I mean, one of the, the things I've thought about is that if you look at, say, like, let's take NFL football compared to the XFL. XFL, it's a lot of fun. The post-touchdown celebrations are delightful. <laughs> these guys are hammering beers in the locker room at right after the game. That's right up my alley. I'm a big beer guy. Okay. So it's one of those like, all right, XFL, I dig it. If you look at it from a, like, how clean does this look? I mean, you watch an NFL game, and if you really think about it, it's one of those like, oh, my gosh. The execution is on point. Yeah, it has to be. There, the penalties are at a minimum. I, I mean, it's just everything is just to a freaking T. Uniforms are the same. Nobody's got a shirt untucked. Socks aren't around the ankles. Everything is just spot freaking on in the NFL. Hmm. You go over to the XFL, and just all of a sudden, it's just like... Oh man, everything's just a little rough around the edges. <laughs> it's the Wild West. It is, and it's and it's fun. It's entertaining. That's great, but that intrinsic quality is not there. 
And when you look at college football, having lost a spring season, having lost that spring, that, that spring football, I think that's what you're going to end up seeing is all of a sudden you're going to see in college football this next fall, even for the really, really good teams, the, the, the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Oklahomas, et cetera, I think you're going to see a loss of that cleanness, that execution, huh. that because there's always some of these teams that, I mean, there, there's always about five to seven teams that every year just look better than anybody else. And I think you're going to lose that this year. I mean, there's Alabama's still going to be up there. Clemson's still going to be up there. But you're not going to see that. That timing's going to be just a little bit off. You're just a few more turnovers. The tackles aren't going to be as technique-oriented. Nothing's going to be as clean and brushed up as you would normally expect it to be. Interesting. And and th- and I think that's what I think that's something that you're going to lose across the board, whether it's Alabama, Clemson, USC, Oregon, or if it's a Nebraska, it's a Boise, it's a Kansas State. Hmm. You're you're going to see that across the board. Well, I'll. Uh... Prepare our listeners can prepare for uh, maybe some more frustrating games this this fall. <laughs> it will, and, and it will some be. Slop. I, think, I, I think you're going to see. You're going to see it. Everything's going to be. It's going to be a little sloppier. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't. And I don't know if that's a bad thing. I, it's just. It's kind of is what it is. But, um, yeah. Don't expect to see that same level of execution that that, that you would normally expect to see out of Division One college football. Yeah. Well, that's really a helpful thing to be aware of. Um, hey, this this has been really a wonderful conversation. Thank you for being so generous with your time. I wanted to share one thing with you. So our um, our sponsor for our show is Central Nebraska Buffalo, which is um, a couple who live in Central Nebraska, and they raise buffalo. And I talked to them beforehand, and they're going to send you, if after we get done recording here, if you could give me your address, they're going to send you some ground buffalo oh do you know what i like what buffalo oh okay um they they actually this is uh used at the training table here at nebraska so it's nice it's the same stuff so um we're gonna send you some of that would love to hear fired up about this now great great yeah so if you want to tweet at us when you get some like show us pictures of what you make with it or if you want to tell tell us on the podcast Dude, what I'm it already like. thinking there's there's gonna be it's either gonna be burgers or chili. All right. Well, they. Uh, I think I talked to Kendra earlier today, and she's gonna try and get that in the mail tomorrow. So where are they oh. out of? Hordeville. Ordville. Hordeville. I don't know. Or I know Ord. I don't know Ordville. H O R D Ville. Oh, Hordeville. Gotcha. Hordeville. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're 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 doing the whole Skype thing here, so I'm kind of losing. Some yeah. little, little bit here, but I'll, I'll make sure that they send oh, a flyer with their information in it when they send that to you. Oh, so anyway, dude, I'm excited. Great. Well, something to look forward to. We're gonna have to talk about. We're gonna have to do this again so we can talk about uh, talk about where we're gonna have to like drift into the whole meat products discussion. Oh, I'd love to. Let's do it. All right. Sounds okay. Good. I'm looking Rob, forward to. Thank you. It. Thank you so much for your time. Have a great night. Oh, absolutely. Go big red. Oh, GBR, baby. All right. Take care.
The Husker Football Fan Podcast is an unofficial, non-commercial podcast and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. The views expressed on this podcast belong solely to the individuals expressing them. The Husker Football Fan Podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with the Nebraska Cornhuskers or the University of Nebraska. Nebraska.